Lord, we thank you once again for your grace and your goodness to us, your people. We thank you that you do not treat us as we deserve, but you treat us according to your good pleasure and your mercies and grace. We thank you that you have uh, kept covenant uh, through Christ on our behalf. And we ask now that you would strengthen us as we uh, seek to uh, better understand how to study your word, some of the skills and and things to keep in mind as we do so, uh, that we might uh, better know you and better know what you've said and, and of course, uh, live in a way that better honors you. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we've um, been looking here at parables and um, um, the uh, what is the key, um, I guess, skill that we're trying to learn here as we are studying parables? Okay, and specifically for parables, what do we need to keep in mind? Well, go ahead, Stan. Yeah, yeah, one main point. And the details of the parables help us to understand that main point, uh, but that's the basic idea. Now, uh, there are some where that becomes quite obvious. There are others where we might be very tempted to look at all the details and read into them. Uh, and then there are some actually where Jesus tells us to read into them. Uh, but the basic rule of thumb here is that we look for one key idea and, uh, and so on. So um, uh, last time we looked briefly at Matthew 13 and uh, the purpose of parables. And the purpose is in part to illumine the believer in regard to the things of God, especially the kingdom. Um, but it's also, and maybe you could even say primarily the case, that parables were used by Jesus to confuse and to darken the truth to the unbeliever. Um, and so that has to be kept in mind as we consider parables. Now we've looked at um, uh, some parables here thus far. We looked at uh, one in about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. We've looked at uh, the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. And so let's look at uh, a few more here. Um, let's uh, turn to Matthew 13 here again. And let's look at two here, uh, though there are several in this chapter. And let's start with the first one. Um, maybe if I get someone could read verses 1 to 9. <clears throat> It's the parable itself. Someone willing to do that. All right, Luke. Thank you. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that when he got into a boat and sat, the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came to devour them. Some fell on stony places, and did not have much earth, and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. 
right now as we read this section. What is the main idea? What's the point of the parable? Okay, all right. Uh, that'd be a, a fair summary. Different people respond to the gospel differently. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's then jump down to verse 18. And if I could have someone read verses 18 to 23, Jesus now expands on this. Go ahead, Eric. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he immediately stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. All right. So you see how Jesus is giving us ears to hear, um, as we saw in verse 9, helping us to understand, because it might be a bit obscure if we didn't have this. Um, But he's giving us ears so that you see his grace. Now, as we look at his explanation, does it fit with what Michelle said as a summary idea of the parable? Okay, yeah. And, of course, Michelle had this knowledge in her answer already, which is helpful. (laughs) We're not hearing it for the first time. Um, But you see also what Jesus does. He does not merely focus on the main point. The main point is there, but he also reads into all the details. And so this is called a parable, and okay, but strictly speaking, it's really an allegory. And so we made a distinction between parables and fables here a couple weeks ago. Uh, Here, this is strictly speaking an allegory. An allegory is is very similar. It's teaching us a a moral point, something uh, about scripture, about God, you know, whatever. Um, And it, it does have an overall point, but then it also reads into all the details. Every, every point, uh, every detail has a point. And that's what we see here. And so there, there is this difference um, in, in this particular one. We call it a parable. It says it's a parable. Um, but again, it's, uh, we're making somewhat of a distinction here. Um, all right, now, notice then just a few of the details. Uh, obviously, we see that the sower is, is uh, God. Okay. The uh, seed is the, the gospel. And then we see the, the, the different peoples, as Michelle mentioned, that respond to it. And for, uh, for some who are along the way, right, they don't understand. And the, the, the devil comes and snatches it away. He's the birds. Um, and then the second one, uh, these are the ones who receive the gospel and they're really excited at first. But there's not much depth there. And so... 
uh, as the, the, the seed grows, it withers away in the hot sun. Uh, when there's uh, uh, just a little, little soil, you might say, uh, with the persecution and so on. So then in verse 22, uh, here's another one. This is the one that has the, the seed take root, but the thorns grow up. These are the cares of the world, the riches of the world, and so forth. And um, they don't bear any fruit. Okay. Then the fourth one, of course, is the one that has good soil. And the seed grows and uh, it bears much fruit. Um, all right, now, because Jesus gives us all these details, I think we can then ask some pointed questions. And specifically, which of these four are true believers? Only them? Okay. So not the ones who respond and fall away or get choked out. They're not true believers. Okay. I think that's right. I think that's the understanding that we should have. Okay. Uh, when I was in seminary, we did a study on this parable. It was, it was uh, the parallel passage uh, in Mark. But uh, uh, that was the conclusion I reached as I studied it, and we talked about it in class. Uh, because a true believer will bear fruit. Right? And Jesus makes that clear with the, you know, a tree by its fruit and so forth. So if you're not bearing fruit, then how can you be a believer? Even if you're only bearing fivefold. Or twofold, let alone 30, 60, or 100. Uh, if you're not bearing any fruit, if you're choked out, then you can't be a true believer. Um, and uh, um, anyway, our main point here is our understanding of how to interpret. Again, we're looking for one main point, but because Jesus explains this one and gives us uh, details, uh, understanding of the details, we can then do the same. All right, comments or questions on that? Yes? Maybe you're going to go into this, but I was thinking because he gives us details of these other things that come out of it, like, wow, if people bear different fruit, that's a challenge to me as I relate to other believers, not to assume that there's Well, and we certainly could expand on um, God's grace, regeneration. And that's how we get the good soil. You know, all of that uh, certainly is a factor here. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, Susan. Now, at some point, the the church court may have to get involved, mm-hmm. and you know, especially if someone has professed faith, and those thorns and cares of the world and all that come, and, and at some point they may fall away, and the church court may have to make some kind of pronouncement. But certainly, in our interpersonal relations, right? Yeah, that should be our default. You might say is. next actually but uh, well if sure Mm -hmm. well if I I remember correctly it's it's uh, in Kings Manasseh is presented as an evil king completely it's in Chronicles that we learn that he did repent if I have that right in my memory it's that order Um, yeah yeah so um, yeah certainly uh, our our prayer should include the ideas of, of grace and mercy and asking for God to do that. And then if he does, chooses not to, to bring the judgment um, and to stymie them in their sin. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's transition to the wheat and tares here because this is another one where we have an explanation given to us. So let's read here verses 24 to 30. Here in Matthew 13. Who'd be willing to do that for us, please? All right. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven. 
compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reaper, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. Rather, first excuse me, but gather the wheat into my home. Yeah. All right, so is this denying the curse <laughs> on the ground? And I raise that question because if we're going to read into all the details, we could come up with that conclusion. Now, we have plenty of other passages and everyday experience that shows that um, somebody doesn't actually have to sow tares and they show up anyway. <laughs> but to my question then, what is the point? Try to interpret this without knowing the explanation. <laughs> Just from what we see here. Now remember, this is a parable of the kingdom. So keep that in mind. We're already told that. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, does he mention anything about the wicked and the elect in these verses? Okay. Well, but from the parable of the sower, as we call it, the seed is God's word. Right? So there is a difference between what the seed represents between these two. I'm trying to get us to look at this without knowing the, without letting the answer that we already know impact our interpretation here. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Um, but um, I think without Christ's explanation, I probably wouldn't go that next step mm -hmm. to, to the, the fact that it's the reprobate and the elect. Okay. And just the idea that there's good dwelling with the people. Mm -hmm. Yes.
the devil ultimately but yeah he has those hold your thought a moment here darlene let's 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 read because we're wanting to go there anyway let's read verses 36 to 43 so who would do that for us please go ahead joe then jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house and the disciples came up to him and said Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned into the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. Uh, keep going to verse 43. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and he shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. One more. <laughs> shall the righteous shine forth as the Son of the kingdom of their Father, who had ears to hear, let him hear. All right. Well, obviously, Jesus helps us here. Uh, because without this, we, I think Nalene's on the right track. We might think of good and evil, but we might not know exactly how much farther to go with that. Uh, but this clear, uh, gives clarity for us. Uh, Jesus is the one sowing the seed, the, the gospel message and the truth and so forth. But notice it's the, the field is the world, not just the church. And so we're not merely talking about false teaching within the church, per se, uh, but uh, the the evil in the world in general, which includes the wolves in the church, but uh, beyond that. Uh, The enemy, of course, is the devil, um, and the harvest is the end of the age. And, uh, And so the point here is not so much do we try to have a pure church or should we just wait until the end the point here is that we are not as believers to go around more or less killing unbelievers that God will take care of that at the end now there may you know be a capital punishment scenario you you know you put to death the murderer or something like that but but again that's through the court system and, you know, two or more witnesses, all that sort of thing. But, but the general premise here is that we are not to exterminate the, the red man or the black man or something like that that has been done in the past um, because they're, they're heathens. Now, we're to witness to them. We're to minister to them. And back to what Susan was saying, you know, show grace. 
Uh, in the end, God will determine uh, uh, who's going to heaven and hell, and he will take care of that. Um, so does this include our understanding of false teaching? You know, I mentioned Joel Osteen here the other day and here a moment ago. Um, I don't think that's the point of the parable. I don't think that's what we're getting at. We are to, Matthew 7, be careful about throwing pearls to swine. We must uh, discern the good tree and the bad tree. We must have uh, right doctrine, as Paul tells Timothy. You know, there are other passages that tell us to be discerning and to, um, to silence those who are preaching and teaching things that are not true. But again, that's, that's the focus there is within the church. This is broader than that. Yeah, Joe. Are you saying that this is basically talking common grace? Expand, expand on your question. Well, we say that God blesses both the just and the unjust. You know, everybody has rain, everybody has air to breathe, that sort of thing. Would we know the, the reprobate will be judged eventually, but he doesn't just block them out in this life, and sometimes they can live and prosper well I think certainly broadly speaking we can bring in the ideas of common grace um, I think that the emphasis here is um, it's not our task as a church okay, remember it's the parable of the kingdom so it's not our task as we expand the kingdom through the ministry of the gospel to um, go forth with the cross on our shield and our sword raised and kill the unbeliever in front of us. I think that's the point. Um, there are other points that fit in, but remember, we're looking for one main point. And even though Jesus gives us some details that we can expand upon, um, we still need to look at the main point. <laughs> yes, Nayling. And so as he's scattering the sea, 
becomes a broader kingdom. Right? And we can't, I don't know, there's a lot going through my head. I can't put it all in. But it is an interesting connection with this idea of, of the enemy sowing this false seed and, and the Lord sowing his seed. And how easily we want to just make a fear demarcation. You know, Spanish Inquisition or uh, the Crusades or, you know, whatever it is. We want to just root out the evil from among us so that, and, and have heaven on this side of things. And uh, it's just interesting mm -hmm. how Christ is. Not your job. Mm -hmm. Gotta take care of that. Well. <clears throat> What I'm trying to emphasize with you is the point of parables is look for the main point. Now, a lot of things have been said that touch on the main point, like Darlene's point that you're connecting to, or your point with common grace. It, it touches on it, but it's not the main point. Okay? Common grace fits better with whatever, Acts 17 and Paul's teaching there in Mars Hill, or... Your point fits better here with Matthew 16. Beware of the leaven of the, the, the religious leaders. So it, it's not what you're saying is wrong necessarily, but it's not the main point of that particular parable. It, you see what I'm getting at here? So our, our, the, the goal here is to say, okay, when you read the comics, you don't have front page approach to things. When you read the sports section, you don't have the opinion page in mind in terms of how you interpret things. It's the same idea here. What is the purpose of a parable? It's driving at one main idea. Even these two that we've looked at, the parable of the soils and the sower, and here now the wheat and the tares, where Jesus gives us some more details that we can look at and understand, there's still one main point, and that's what we should emphasize. And these other things... Okay, there are other passages that teach us about that, and that's the main point there. Um, so, again, our, our goal here is this, this skill of interpretation, and, and this is our, our main idea. Yes? Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say there are probably some who were killed by Christians with that mindset who actually were chosen by God, and they didn't know it. And vice versa. They didn't kill them and thought they were Christians, and they really aren't. Um, yes, yeah, Susan. Yeah, and, and again, the focus here is on the world. It's not the church. Now, the church is included, of course, but the idea is that there will be believers and unbelievers until the end, and it's not our job. Remember, these are parables of the kingdom, so it's not our job as citizens of the kingdom to go out and pull up the tares before the end. Now, again, if they've murdered someone and you, know, you follow the law, there, there's that application, but... But yeah, yeah, Charlemagne and others so were. Right. 
That exactly. Right. They missed the point. And not just this parable, <laughs> but yes. said it I think is the right idea this is the main point but there are implications of that and other passages speak to those implications and we've had three or four of the implications mentioned here in the last few minutes and you just mentioned another one but it's still not the main point of the passage Yes, and, it, and it's fitting here for these two parables because Jesus has given us such a thorough explanation of them. Okay, but you can't do that as much with parables where you don't have as much Yes, and again, it, you're, you're, you're looking at other passages that speak to those issues. It ties in, there are connections, but again, you're looking at one main point. Are you mixing parables? You said Good Samaritan. Do you mean no, the prodigal? No, 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 no. Okay. I'm sorry, I said the wrong one. Okay. I, well, I teach both. So. <laughs> okay. Let's turn to Luke 15 here a moment. Yeah. And yet it seems rather obvious from the text and who he's talking to in the mm-hmm. context that he's addressing that he's addressing the church as the leaders of the church who are not you said Luke 13? Uh, Luke 15. 15. Yep. <clears throat> Luke 15. Now let somebody read for us verses 1 and 2. Go, go ahead. Go ahead and read it. All right. Now all the tax gatherers and the 
All right, so. Yeah, it. Yeah, the the idea here then, I think we can take verses eleven and following, and because of what Jesus says here and and Luke, okay, that we can connect the father of these two boys to God. We can connect the sinner, right, the prodigal son to the sinners that God is dwelling with, feasting with, okay, and we can connect the older brother to the religious leaders because of what we have here. Yes. But only when we've got that in the context, the apostolic teaching. Yes. Now, there are all kinds of details here. But let's not have, uh, you know, a Sunday school lesson about feeding pigs. I mean, that, that's not the point. The point is, he was feeding pigs because he had run away from the Lord and everything. I mean, he was at the very bottom. That's the point. Don't dwell on what he was feeding the pigs. Don't dwell on the fact that the pigs were unclean. Other than to say, he was feeding unclean animals. That's how low he had gotten. Right? Do you see the point? Don't dwell on that detail, but let that detail expand on the main point. Okay. Yeah, we do. We talk about all of that, but it's very much the main point is God brings back. Mm-hmm. And we, we can easily fall into the older brother where we're like, we don't see what God is doing. And we miss the yeah. fact that he's, he's redeeming. Yeah. 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 So... Since we're talking about um, Jesus dwelling with sinners and you know eating with them, receiving them, and so forth, I think we we then can uh, in all three of them, right? So you have the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. That we can we can, if you will, learn something about God's character in these three parables. Right, so you have the shepherd dropping everything, as it were, and going to get this lost sheep. You have um, the the woman, and this isn't to say that God's a woman, but he's he's. Do you see the point? He he's as it were dropping everything to go find that coin that was lost. And here, then, in the third one, he is dropping everything <laughs> to go welcome back his son, who has come back to him. Um, to some degree though of course I'm not sure we would say the Assyrians were believers in the first place but uh, (laughs) um Jews are angry 
Steve Austin, we've been worshiping you all this time. Yeah. Are you favoring the Gentiles over the Jews? Hmm. Are more Gentiles coming to the, into faith than what Jews are? Hmm. Well, if we were to go back to Matthew 13, clearly some of those parables we didn't look at have the idea of, of the kingdom expanding to the Gentiles, right? As you read Luke 15, um, I think that's going beyond the main point, right? Because every one of them has to do with this, uh, the... Uh, Christ receiving sinners and the religious leaders responding to that. These sinners were still Jews, right? Um, and it, I, I don't think we have the idea of the Gentile here in this passage. Now, can you take that principle and apply it beyond that? Yes, but I don't think that's the main point of, of these three parables, especially this one that you're talking about so uh, again you take the main point you take another point and you can put them together (laughs) but we have to follow these steps if you will or we start it, it leads to sloppy hermeneutics which then can lead to more sloppy hermeneutics and eventually we end up in in error in some way so um so Matthew 13, yes, we definitely can see that. Luke 15, that the Gentiles really are not the point here. Um, but again, this, the principle does expand beyond that. So and that was, kind of fits with my response to Michelle with the Assyrians. There is a difference there. The general principle applies, but, but the Assyrians are not those who were in the church and left it, or in Israel and left it. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, in, in certain ways, Jonah is the prodigal son. If we're going to connect it in that way, so. All right, we're we got to quit here. But Susan, what do you have? I would agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like like we saw in verses one to two, one and two, there there are three ideas. One is is the father, like you're saying. One is the sinner, and one is 
the the religious leader. Right. That's right. So those are the three ideas that all go together. Now, if you're going to put one of those as the main one, I, I think, yes, here in this chapter, the emphasis is on the person doing the finding, which is telling us something about God, ultimately. And the Yeah, but again, don't we? We might say, okay, well, we're like sheep. Well, that's because other passages call us sheep. But we don't want to say we're an inanimate object like a coin. You know, you don't want to dwell on that point, right? So again, as you're looking at the details, let's be careful about overinterpreting. But yes, if you're going to take those three basic ideas, that I think in this case, the father is the primary idea. Now. We'll look at chapter 18 next time, and it's the opposite point. Okay. So, all right, well, we better quit here. But hopefully this is helpful. Again, we're just we're looking, trying to get some skill, as it were, in our ability to interpret. Um, all right, well, let's pray as we conclude. Lord, we thank you <clears throat> again for your word. We thank you for um, preserving it for us. We thank you for... Um, this challenge of interpretation. And uh, we pray that you would give us uh, insight and skills into interpreting and that we wouldn't uh, just um, skim over things, we wouldn't jump to conclusions, but we'd think carefully and be guided by what your word tells us and, uh, and, and focus on, on the main point of that passage. And then certainly we can expand to other things. Just give, give us uh, this discipline, uh, that we might uh, accurately interpret your word and uh, not treat it care- carelessly and uh, end up in error eventually. And so, Lord, we pray for your mercies in this way. We pray now as we come to worship that you would strengthen our worship and that you would be honored, that you would grow us in grace. And uh, we pray uh, that you would work in us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.